Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. I'm looking forward to speaking to my guest today. Uh, She has been a guest of mine at several of our conferences and even on my television show, Executive Perspective. We've always had great conversations about how cybersecurity keeps going up on the list of things companies should pay more attention to. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. Uh, In the show, we talk about the four C's. You're going to love that. It's going to come out right at the beginning of the show. The four C's that she had to take a look at, and it's all around continuity. Wow. It's unbelievable. You've got to be able to listen to this. I'm talking about Mira Rajavel, and she's the Chief Information Officer at Citric, a company looking to transform the way people work by re imagining the employee experience. And she does that exactly and to a T. And you're going to love this interview. Mira, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Thank you so much, Jeff. Really delighted to be part of the conversation today. You know, we've talked in the past as a chief security officer, chief information officer, and what you had to do to be able to put rings of security now let's talk about remote workforces. Now we before we had to talk about security just in the office. Now we've got to talk about it remotely. Let's talk about building a remote workforce. What do you have to think about? Yeah, I think a lot of us have never thought, you know, you will be called one day as a CIO and said, hey, just to give you a heads up, tomorrow we are all going to work from home. And it's just 10,000 people or 100,000 people. And that's kind of how it started, right? I mean. In my case, uh, on a Friday, we had a conversation saying, oh, we are thinking about it. By the end of the day, we are like, okay, Monday onwards, everybody is going to be remote. So figure it out. You have the weekend to figure it out. That's how it happened. When I have to just step back and think about, right, from an hindsight, how we did it, I think there's four Cs we looked at it when we looked at it from uh, remote work, right? Number one, when you think about your entire company is going to go remote, number one is connectivity. Can they connect with you? Yeah. The connectivity is the first first element, right? The connectivity brings, whether it is uh, the network bandwidth that you're requiring, the security around how they are connecting, and it's also about uh, the dynamic capability, right? I mean, in our case, we really focused on, because we really could not model. I mean, even though I had a little bit of advantage, we had a small operation in uh, China and Nigeria. So we had about 300 people site that went remote almost a month ahead. So I can take some of this learnings, but the extrapolation is really hard when you try to take 300 to 10,000 to 50 different sites. So in our case, we really go into say, you know what, every single place where we need or where we are not very sure, we need burst, whether it is in application dynamically bursting with more instances, or just a pure network pipe bursting, or it is our virtual desktops. One of the advantage being in Citrix is we actually support remote workforce and we drink our own champagne. So the virtual desktop and the virtual infrastructure is something that a lot of our employees use. And I have to say, when we went remote, that usage went by 54%. I mean, I would say that's like within the day because everybody started using our virtual. So that's a first connectivity. Once people can connect, the second C is content. Now that I connected, how am I going to get the 
the information I need. That could be your file, that could be your application, that could be your, you know, you name it. So the content, how you make sure you have the content available, all the content. I'm talking about, you know, your legacy applications that are sitting in the data center may not perform well with VPN many times. You need to have the same experience of insight, access to your data center in the same way versus when you're offsite, right? This content is the second piece. Now that I have connectivity and content that I need the information I need, nobody works alone today. I mean, everybody yeah. needs people to work with. So our third, my third C is the collaboration, right? That comes in the form of as simple as the audio video conference. I mean, that's whether it's your Zoom or GoToMeeting or WebEx, doesn't matter. But however, that actually works when you're a week or two offsite. But when you're now gone for two months, I mean, business doesn't stop. In fact, in our case, the business accelerated given our uh, kind of uh, solution we provided and our engineering need to continue to innovate because the customers are coming up with the new use cases and they want new features to be added. So how do you bring the rich collaboration that includes you know, brainstorming, innovation sessions that you're able to do as if you're sitting next to each other, right? So we actually have been building layers of collaboration from simple audio-video conference to whiteboarding to, you know, I, I even have my team's virtual training now runs every week, like almost a day or two, depending on the topic. And the teams of virtual stickies that they can move around, it's almost like in your presence, right? I mean, the collaboration needs to bring the complete presence of self rather than just the audio and video self, right? So that's a third C, but none of this work if you don't wrap it all with a culture, right? I mean, if your mm. culture is not a culture that's conducive for uh, you know, embracing the remote workforce, embracing that high collaboration, embracing bringing that empathy into it, right? I mean, people do get tired. Sometimes by the time I get to the evening, my eyes are super tired looking at the screen all day. <laughs> So there is a culture of recognizing some challenges. It's not easy, but also I feel today I touch more my team than I even touched when I was in uh, in the office. And I almost feel the all of a sudden the the field is it's a level paid field. Everybody has the same thing. Not anymore like if you're a VP CEO has a different one versus. If you're a person in the individual contributor, you had a different. So it's almost like I feel the level of empathy and the culture and bringing that and, and we partner closely with our HR organization and our, uh, you know, uh, communication organization to make sure when we went remote, we had a huge organizational change management, continuous communication and creating forums, virtual forums, and not just top down, but also organically allowing people to do things around how they stay in touch with each other. I mean, I, we even have um, working moms have got together because you know, not everybody is just working remote. They're also homeschooling kids, caring right. for kids, caring for sick while they're working. So the the, fun, the one fun thing was people just started having working moms and young kids. They started doing virtual um, babysitting. I mean, if you don't have a meeting and you virtually babysit, and, and this was completely self-organized, people got so creative to the point yoga and virtual babysitting and virtual classes, art classes for kids and you name it, everything. It, it, is, it comes from culture. It's not, right? But we have to do it all with security. And that's where I look at, right? Now, when we bring technology in a remote, you can't see pipe technologies. We need to see how do you bring a workplace in a wrapped up 
in a way that it is secure. So in our case, we use our media, our workspace solution, which actually is the container of the desktop with our virtual application, and then even our virtual web browsing to make sure it's all packaged in a secure fashion. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I love the fact that we're talking about continuity. And then on top of continuity, we have the four C's. This is a great way to be able to frame it. Hey, speaking of being able to frame things, I need to take a quick break. I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're talking uh, live right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're broadcasting all business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Today's guest, Mira Rajavel. She's a chief information of officer of Citrix. And we're talking all about continuity. And who would have imagined as a CIO that I would have said to you, okay, tomorrow we're all going we're all going home. We're all working from home. You would have normally have said, and I've sat in those executive meetings, and and you would you would have been at that executive meeting sitting next to me as a CMO, and we would have said we've done this. You would have said, hey, we got a plan for this for a month or two, mm-hmm. right? And you you didn't have the. Ver- I mean, what was the first thing that went through your mind as you know inheriting this problem? I think. Um- you know, you said it right, because IT has the stigma. You ask IT, they have to go and do a planning, and then they're going to come back giving you a, a detailed work breakdown chart that will have a huge executive <laughs> gant that's going to tell you it will take a month to two months to even a year, depending on the problem you're solving. Uh, but here it is, we are talking about people's health, people's life, right? Yeah. And for me, the first thing that went into my head is, not thinking about whether how we whether, whether we can do it or not. It is about we have to save lives. We have to do it. Yeah. That's it. You had no and choice. I mean, in this case, no I mean, none of us had a choice, right? There's no choice. Yeah. Absolutely. I I think I'm a firm believer. I mean, I love adventure sports. That's the reason because I'm a firm believer. Adversity creates advantage. Yeah. And this to me is an adversity that makes you think out of the box. So one of the thing, kind of when this news was brewing, and I have to be honest, I didn't just have everything over the weekend. We have been preparing. We have been sort of like, you know, we made some changes in our infrastructure saying, okay, let's get our, uh, you know, network burst capacities in place. Let's add, and, and, and our infrastructure is hybrid. So we made sure wherever we didn't have hybrid, we made sure the cloud connectivity is there so we can scale in a matter of minutes rather than we have to execute a project. For our own example, our Citrix virtual platform, which became the backbone when we went into this remote working, and we were ready with the hybrid, so I can burst into my cloud how much ever I want, along with my data center capacity that's already been allocated. And we went like 57% over just the very next day, and I could easily go into the cloud and continue to scale, right? So for me, taking that calculated risk, right? I mean, we took some calculated risk. And if I would have given my team the option saying, okay, execute this project, they must have told me a month. And that weekend, we executed four projects, which actually are all supposed to be executed in months. And some of them were, it was a calculated risk. And we took up approach of canary like we'll turn it on and we'll see we'll all the eyes on the glass and if something goes wrong we'll just cut it and turn over so the uh, first the canary the canary the- died that didn't work get another canary and exactly. figure another problem <laughs> exactly exactly right. so i would say the first week was like i don't know how many of my guys didn't even take a day break or i mean a few hours break and just work through 
but it was actually we changed our major firewalls we extended every part of infrastructure along with our tickets that was coming into our service desk went up by like 37% on day 1 because people are having um challenges not because of the ability to connect or work some of them even had challenges their own internal home network i mean we even got calls saying hey oh, yeah. i'm having this and yeah. and I can't hook up my router like, yeah. <laughs> exactly people actually yeah. have but at that time uh, one of my i mean we did an after a month uh, um we kind of did a reflection session saying hey this feels really seems like we did something well because the entire company sent tons of thanks and and during that time i mean we just announced our uh, uh, earnings you know our earnings was like 139 million dollars more than yeah. our forecast trader announced that's actually a, a pretty significant honest that's big very big and we yeah. were not i mean this is all happening in the middle of things which means we also introduced new marketing campaigns we also introduced uh, our you know order volumes went up so you name it it's not just the infrastructure it's everything right so for me when we step back one thing someone in my team said it became more human uh, less it became more human less process i said what oh, do you mean that, which is cool and, which is always uh, about si- solving the problems right exactly. i have a so question yeah i have a quick question yeah. Yeah. Are, are because as a CIO role right now are you focused more internally or more externally? I mean with all of this change, I mean you got a pandemic change where everybody's faced with the same problem you have. Now it's this remote workforce. So of course that's the business you've been in for a long time, but now it's times x x x x x, right? And not only you had to do it internally and do it bigger for yourself. So are you more focused internally or externally right now? Both. Both because yeah. I have to make sure my internal customers are able to do the job to support our real external customers. but at the same time i also provide services that actually our external customers use a good example is our support call volumes because uh, not only i'm doing over weekend project every one of our customers are doing like university of uh, sydney uh, i mean who knew 40% of their students are from china it's in australia but 40% of their students are in china when the pandemic hit australia said nobody can come in from china into uh, uh australia and within 10 days we need to stand up an entire virtual university for them it was matter of days like within it's actually exactly a week if you take the border weekends right a week the university went completely virtual using our infrastructure so think about when we have to support something like that for our customers our professional service organization our sales organization our customer support everybody's i mean that's not just for sydney we had the same thing for the city of corona we had same with city of boston going like completely virtual over the weekend right so for us it actually is to me i need to support my tech support to scale and support whatever our customer needs or i need to ensure my professional service can do all this setup without traveling because they're not traveling to the customer sites and we have to do it remotely in many cases because we have to take care of our employees self too right so it i would say it's on both both internal and external we have to do this so when you when you well i tell you what i'm i got a, a great question about employers and what they need to look for but let me take another break and i'll be right back c suite radio 
All right, another great message. Thanks so much. And I tell you what, we're we're broadcasting or live casting, as we call it, right here on LinkedIn and Facebook, as we take all business with Jeffrey Hayes at C-Suite Radio, the number one business podcast network in the world. And we're so glad to be a part of it. I'm so glad to be leading it as well as the chairman of that network. But having my show on this network and having so many people listen to us, you know, we're just topping records. Right now, folks, listen up. During all this time, everybody's talking about, oh, it's tough. It's tough. Yes, it is tough, but there's a lot of people who are driving and thriving, making it happen. You know that hockey stick we always talk about that goes in business? We always project this hockey stick. I'm in the hockey stick. I'm at the tip of the hockey stick. I've always been at the handle. And I'm telling you right now with everything that's going on, we were talking with Mira a little bit earlier, in crisis, there's opportunities. I want you to find those opportunities. I want you to go do that. It's important. And of course, we're talking live with Mira Rajavel, the Chief Information Officer at Citrix, talking about security, talking about networks, talking about how do, you, how do you just flip everything over and start and make it big and scale? So, Mira, I have a question. What are some of the things employers should be doing to secure their data, their networks, their employees at home? Because, you know, security is such a big part of this. And we're hearing about, you know, Zoom bombing and all these things. And, and I'm always scared, you know, some employee is going to open some file and I'm going to be seeing ransomware or something coming up. What what do, what would you tell an employer today about their information that they that they really need to follow these kind of protocols or these this advice? Yeah, I think um, you know. I mean, it goes back to looking at the structural. I mean, it, it, it's really going to be extremely hard if you're always dependent only on perimeter. I'll tell you why. Because now the perimeter is vanished. The employees right. are not anymore sitting in your office or in your data center. They are in their in their um, you know homes and through their own network. So my uh, philosophy here is: you really want to make sure your workspace is you know uh, fully secure. Whether it is, I mean, one of the thing that we did with our customers is: hey, what are the challenges that your employees are facing? Because we are in remote. Uh, work uh, technology solutions. So we are constantly checking with our customers, what are the kind of things that they're facing? And it was consistently brought up to us, right? I mean, people who are with the VPN as a way to solve the problem or people who are using conferencing as a way to solve the problem, they're actually, number one is they're not able to provide the full-on solution. Number two is now they have to think about code and code, securing multiple points and securing multiple points become harder. And especially when you don't understand the environment where the employee is sitting. So in our case, we took a a bigger approach around because our philosophy is you can work from anywhere, any play, any device, any time, right? I mean, any device is the most critical thing. Any device, most of the time, translate into BYO. If you're your own device, you come into our virtual desktop or your virtual workspace environment where you'll have your content, where you'll have your applications and where you'll have everything you need and you're going to work in that container, that container is secured for you. That's the approach we took. So majority of our critical information, we secure it through our workspace because that's to us is a great container. And we also inside the container, we know what kind of actions are happening. But if I have to step back, let's say that you're not, you're not in that space then you really want to make sure you have the right controls on your network and on your data and on your identity, your people, right? I mean, if you think about 
if you, if you don't have a zero trust, I mean, the good news is if you're a person already on a zero trust type of an architecture, then you're probably in a good place because you have taken care of the five elements of the zero trust. You have taken care of the network, you have taken care of the device, you have taken care of the uh, application, you're taking care of your uh, um, you know, uh, data, and then the one which sits in the middle is your human. You're taking care of all the five elements. But if you're not, my uh, suggestion is you really need to make sure your application data and your people are the priority in this and make sure that you have the right kind of controls around those three as a top priority. It doesn't mean you can ignore others, but have those as a top priority. Do you, do you think going forward, we're mostly going to have a remote workforce post-COVID? I, I don't know if we're ever going to be post-COVID in the next year or two, but but during the, what we are now starting to open up, right? We're starting to get, say, hey, let's get back to work. Let's let's open up for business, so to speak, I, I, which is great. I, I said it would be about 60 days. That's about where we're at, where we're, you know, no one's going to, everybody's going to want to get back in that office, get back out there doing some certain things. Limited, though, we're going to have to be smart about it, folks. Listen, you're going to have to be very smart. But do you think we're going to go, uh, you know, shut down the remote workforce and go back to what it used to be? Or what's what? Do you, what what's your prediction? What are you seeing? almost think there is a new normal here, right? When we think yeah. about, you know, uh, I, I had, I've been in conversation with my peer group, even with our customer council I was in, and we were talking about it, right? I mean, what is the new normal? Because there's a new normal. Uh, this pandemic has defined a new normal. And when yeah. you have people, I'll give you why this is I even talked about as a new normal. We actually looked at both from a data-driven way, as well as in our own, in Citrix, and then we also had our customers and we had our customers measuring that as well. We did like a, a qual, you know, a survey or qualitative way of asking people, hey, how how you feel, you know, your productiveness and your experience while working remote versus while you're in the office. 66% of our folks said they feel more productive. And then another uh, 31% said, they're equally productive. So if I put that together, that is 97% of my workforce said they're either equal or more productive being remote. And yeah. many of them, then we actually captured some verb, verb around why you feel it. Like we asked people, just say why you feel it, right? And many of them said they feel a better work-life integration. A lot of them are env environmentalists. They said they really feel not contributing, especially the ones who have long commutes. They felt like, you know, instead of two or three hours on the road, now they could, you know, equally split yeah. that time with family and work. And we also looked at our login time. People are logging in longer than they're normally logging in. We looked at our velocity of transaction processing with our operations team. Their transaction processing velocity was 20% up. And I looked at my own IT organization and our MTTR came down, like the time we took to resolve issues came down while our customer sat went up. So there's a lot of metrics. We looked at it both qualitatively and quantitatively that actually opened up. And I think it is probably the, uh, you know, the paradigm or like ch challenging the norm. Most of the executives thought saying that, Hey, if I don't see my person, I'm not sure they're doing or they're just taking a nap Correct. at home. And that uh -huh. actually literally, literally shook that. Of course, I'm going to say leadership and management matters. If you don't do leadership and management, whether they are in the office or they're out of the office, doesn't matter. You have to have that. But these data are, you know, making people to question 
why can't we continue? Because if you take technology, I'm always challenged with hiring great talent. Now, I'm not going to look for only Fort Lauderdale or my or only Silicon Valley, which is like I have to pay premium. Why? Right. I will hire in places, people with the right talent. And I just want to make sure they are in approximately same time zone if I'm going to put them as an agile team. And I don't want them to be 12 hours apart in certain cases. But I am actually literally hiring in all across the globe right now. And they are putting agile pods and they don't need to be in the same location. You're, you're totally, I, it was going to change the whole format as we're sitting here talking. I'm thinking, you know, I got office buildings that I rent out, right. That I own. And, and even our own office, are we going to need that? Do I need to reconfigure not to have individual desks, but maybe a few hot spots for people to come in and want to work and get away from their kids or do the things they want. And then do I need more bigger meeting space so we can come together as a team? And that's when we get together. There's some really great things that we got to be thinking about. Listen, Miro, I could go on forever. You are awesome. I love talking to you. I enjoy our friendship. And more importantly, I enjoy these conversations because they're just, they're just top. So you gave us some great gems and I want to thank you. We've been talking with Mira Rajavel, the Chief Information Officer at Citrix. And I want to thank you for being in All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you, Jeff. And thanks for having me. Really a pleasure being here. Thank you. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I'll tell you, we learned some really great things. And coming up next, I've got a great guest going to be talking about project success and how to build successful teams as we are doing this uh, work from home, work from anywhere, uh, work around the world, so to speak. But before I do that, I want to talk about my takeaways from Mira. I'm telling you, it was about continuity. I tell you, continuity, it's different for different people. You know, I've said I've been talking about during this COVID stuff about how to, the, what I call the five keeps, you know. She came up with her four C's, connectivity, content, collaboration, and culture. I thought that was great. It all fits under continuity. For continuity for each of us, it's different. Find your C. That's what I wanted to, that's what I learned. Find your C. How can you keep your business going the way you want it to go? Find your C's. That's, that was my takeaway today. My next guest has over 30 years of experience helping leaders and their teams implement sustainable strategies that deliver high stakes project on time and on target. His strategic initiatives have transformed businesses and helped them gain a competitive advantage. You can hear this guy in his voice from the interview. He is an engineer. He's got structure. And of course, I'm talking about Clint Paget. He's a CEO of Project Success, Inc., and a best-selling author of The Project Success Method. Clint, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. You know, and you're down in Atlanta, right? I am. Well, fabulous. Good to have you. You know, I grew up down in Georgia, so I, I love to be there. My family's up in Hiawassee, Georgia, and Lawrenceville, way up in the mountains up north. And so I grew up down in Warner Robins. My father was in the military, so I spent a lot of years down in Warner Robins over the years. Hey, talk to me about the power of conservation, uh, conversation, the power of con conversation, and how is that different than communications? It's a great question. Before we start, though, I appreciate your father's military service. I'm an ex-military guy myself, so. Okay, and thank you. What, what, what branch did you serve in? I was in the Navy. I was in, stationed on an aircraft carrier out of Norfolk, Virginia for six years. 
Well, uh, we had a couple of admirals on the other day, and I've had um, uh, Mike Abershaw, former commander of the USS Benoff. I had Carrie Lorenz, former lieutenant, former first, uh, she was the very first female Tomcat pilot to ever land on an aircraft carrier. So thank you for all you did, Clint. Everybody yeah. talking about, uh, you know, being secluded and social distancing. Are you? Everybody shut up. Clint served on an aircraft carrier. Those guys go out for nine months, a year, uh, maybe even longer, and they don't see anybody but the same people eating the same meals and the same rotation of food every single week. So everybody else, shut up. Okay, <laughs> That's a whole other All conversation right. when you got 78 guys sleeping in the same room. So it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about uh, conversation. How that? How is that different than communication? You know, it's a really interesting question. And, and I was actually confused myself. I, I like to think I'm a smart guy, but my definition of communication was apparently wrong. It turns out that communication is, is you can, communication could be one way. I can be, I can send out a blog post or I can do send out a text or email or post something on Jira or some other collaboration tool. And that's technically communication. It's an expression of an idea. And conversation, on the other hand, is an oral exchange of information. And so to me, the way I think about that is if you probably did this when you were a kid, there were five or six people lined up together and person number one whispered in person number two's ear and oh, they yeah. had to whisper down yep. the line. And what came out the end person was not remotely close to what came out of the first person. And that's because that was a communication, not a conversation. A conversation allows for follow-up questions where we get clarity. And in today's world, when we're working remotely and we were working in different geographic locations or even in the U.S. now, we're actually working from home. Clarity is really key. And to get clarity, you have to have conversations, not just communication. Yeah, which is big. How do you do that with virtual teams? You have to have phone calls. You actually have to pick mm -hmm. up the phone. It's, it's funny. I think human beings as a, as a species, we like to be in silos. When I'm working with big groups, it, it never fails. All the engineers will sit together in the room. And all it could, why? Because they speak the same language. You know, they all had the same yeah. badge of honor of having to take differential equations in college. They get the same jokes and they sit close to the IT people because they're both technical and they both want to sit as far away as possible from the marketing people because the marketing people speak a different language than the engineer does. And so I find that fascinating. We like to go back to our silos. So we have this mentality, I believe, where you want to throw everything over the fence. What I really want to do is check something off my to-do list. And it's easier for me to do that if I can just shoot you a text or send you an email. So in my mind, it's checked off. It's done. Yeah, it's but done. If, but if I pick up the phone and call you, Jeffrey, and say, well, hey, let's talk about this for a second. I might find out that it's not done. And now I might end up with two more to-do items that I didn't want on my to-do list. So what is my natural inclination going to be? I'm going to send you an email so I can get it off my list and on to the next thing. And so just like in an office environment where we would often hesitate to walk down the hallway and, and knock on the door and talk to our colleague, the same thing today. We don't want to pick up the phone and call somebody. And so I think we have all these great communication tools when what we need is collaboration and conversation, not just communication. Yeah, you know, and I, I call it a customer and performer relationship in these kinds of instances. You know, we had this this morning in our team. I, every every day or every couple of days, we're doing huddles with the teams. And so I get together three times a week with the marketing team because I kind of help lead the marketing. And uh, we have a huddle. And in our huddle, we talk about the three to five things we're going to get done for the day, the big projects that we're going to get done for the week, and how that fits into our big overall, you know, goals or promises that we have for the company. And I remember one of our employees said, uh, hey, uh, we might need a brochure on this thing. I said, well, you might need it or you do need it. 
you know? And then that said, well, yeah, okay, we do need it. I said, well, let's change the language. And then on top of that, I said, uh, when do you need it? And then, by, and, then, and, then, and then the person said, well, I can get that done. Great. Well, are, are you dependent on anybody else for the other information that's got to go in the brochure? Yes. Well, have you talked to them? How do you know that's going to come, right? This becomes the problem that we see in companies. And you see this, obviously, when managing projects. Talk to me about uh, an organization's most invaluable asset. What do you think that is? I do believe it's the people on the team. I think that's what separates the average performer from the company that loses money on a regular basis to the top performing businesses are the ones that, that have good team members, good people, but then you have to have the conversations. You have to force those things to take place because you can have really great people in silos and have failed initiatives because each person is working on their, what their own viewpoint of the project or the initiative is. But if you bring people together in a collaborative way up front and force them to talk about the project, just like you were just doing, well, let's talk about the brochure. Is it black and white? Is it color? Who's going to do the layout? Yeah. Who's going to do the graphics? How many copies do you need? Is it digital? Do you want it as a PDF? you want it as a JPEG? Uh, are there speakers going into, because this happens to be about an event, do you have all the bios? Do you have all the names? Do you have, you know, all that stuff that, you know, you are we doing it in-house? Are we going to, we're going to outsource it. I mean, who's going to do all this work. And so to me, you know, that does, you have to have those conversations. You have to have good people. I think that's the single most important thing because even, even good process won't overcome bad people. But I think you also have to have good process and good conversations and get in amongst the good people. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about agile development. We'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. Uh, We're broadcasting live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you all business with Jeffrey. Is it right here on C-Suite Radio? Of course, we're taping uh, a live interview and broadcasting that out. And then, of course, putting this to C-Suite Radio which is the world's largest business podcast network. And we are one of the marquee podcasts for that. And so glad that you listen in. And by the way, don't forget to tell your friends and thank you for listening to our show, not only every day or whenever you can listen to it. You know, we've been broadcasting uh, for a number of years, or at least uh, putting out our podcast for a number of years now. And we've been doing that weekly, but now daily. Yeah, why? Because we can, that's why. And we're driving and thriving and helping businesses every single day. So I'm talking to Clint Paget, the CEO of Project Success and a best-selling author of the Project Success Method. I want to get into that. So how do you define agile development? So agile is something that came about, you know, back in the software and that's where actually where yeah. it birthed from. And I think it's a great, great tool to use for software development because as a consumer of that software, if I'm the person, like we have a software tool that we use and the developers developed it using agile, which is really nice because at the end of each sprint, you know, one, two, three weeks, whatever the sprint length is, I get a piece of code that I could touch, feel, use and play with and give feedback on instantaneously. And so we love that process for software development, but that's just one piece of a project. With a project, you have documentation, you have hardware, you have kiosks that may have to get built, you have permits you may have to pull. So the project is much bigger than just the software piece. So we still want to use a methodology to plan the overall project. And that's what we do is we have kind of a hybrid approach of we have agile-like techniques, but we actually have also some waterfall techniques And I have to say, uh, my badge of honor, I was teaching a class as an adjunct professor at Georgia Tech in the executive ed program for the cable industry. And one of the people brought up Agile. And so I said, well, you know, we've been around longer than Agile has. We've been around since 83. We believe in short durations for near-term tasks, you know, come back, give instantaneous feedback, 
et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of my presentation, she says, Clan, I have to tell you, you are the least defensive waterfall guy I've ever met. So I wear that like a badge of honor, right? Because yeah. I, think, I think you need a hybrid. I think both are really good. Waterfall has its strengths. Agile has its strengths. And we try to, we try to be that bridge in between the two. That, which, it makes, which makes a lot of sense. What do you think are the most common mistakes companies make when it comes to optimizing? I think they believe everybody understands. They think, oh, well, everybody, clearly everybody understands what we're trying to do here. Optimization, mm-hmm. everybody knows what that means, right? And the problem with that, yet again, is optimization means five different things to five different people. So what is optimization? You know, what are we trying? What is the specific goal? And how do you measure it? So to me, anything you want done has to be measurable. If it's not measurable, then it's open to interpretation. And that's never something we want in project work. We want, we want it to be specific. We want it to be measurable. So we know at the end we were, we were successful. So to me, optimization would be having conversations with the team to say, here's what I expect. When we optimize, we want to see a benefit of X percent or X amount by this date. Just like you were being very specific earlier in your example, which I appreciate, you want to be very specific in how you talk about optimization or any other business initiative. What are the things we have to get done exactly specifically by who and by when? Yeah, yeah, folks, you're listening in talking about this, and these are the biggest breakdowns that companies do have. I like to refer to these as conditions of satisfaction. You know, so we to- totally understand. I actually use the word mutual conditions so that we both understand by conditions of satisfaction, I might have them, but you might not. So if we say they're mutual, which means you're going to do this for me, we're going to agree, and the result is this hey, you get to keep your job you know, <laughs> and, and advance and learn and all those other things, which is part of it. So how do you, I mean, right now we're all changing. We're all doing all these things. There's so many different tools. I was looking at an HR tool today to manage, help manage some, work, you know, remote workforces and do some different things and, you know, to be able to, you know, just keep track of certain things. So like when people are on, when they're not, not on the network, you know, I could, I can check with like Salesforce, how long, how many times did that person log in? you know, or didn't log in? How long were they logged in? These are important things for me. How often they hit the keystrokes. I, I, I can check all that kind of stuff. So how do you develop consistency with such a diverse workforce and, and so many tools that are available? Well, to me, tools are just that. They're a tool. There's something that you mm-hmm. use to help you with your projects, either to make them faster, better, more efficient, more effective. But I, my tool of choice is always going to be people. So what we'd like to do is make sure that people establish relationships with each other. So let's say you have an organization that's global and you can't walk down the hallway necessarily and see the people on your team. So you're going to have to use some tools to make that happen. You're going to have to use Zoom or video chat or phone calls or whatever those tools might be, Jira, collaboration tools, et cetera. But for us, it's always big to have these face-to-face conversations up front so that I can turn you from an email address into a living, breathing human being that I now feel accountable to. Because my experience and our experience as a company has been that your best chance of getting something done in the real world is that the people doing the work feel accountable. They, they feel like they, they put pressure on themselves to do it rather than me having to whip them or put the carrot out there. They need to feel accountable to themselves to make sure they get it done. So we want to have those, those bonds formed first and then the tools are just something you can add on later. Yeah, I'd much rather have that that piece of it where everybody's wanting to do the right thing and getting it done. And I don't want to have to worry about either providing an incentive or, and you, you use the word whipping, but I don't want to even have to use the threat of anything or even the incentive. I just want to do it because it's the right thing to do. Hey, you talk about the worry curve. What's the worry curve? 
So uh, we have a concept called shifting the worry curve. And basically, if you think about everybody today in their in their work world, they're already overwhelmed with the projects, right? They have five or six things going on. They get their day job, the customer issues they're putting out. So let's say that that you have five projects on your plate and you get assigned number six. And project number six, there's no plan for it. It's just, there's just a communication that comes out. Hey, this is really important to fourth quarter results. You guys are all on the team. You know your jobs. Go make it happen. So the average person, when they realize, when they know they're on this team, they know two things. Oh, by the way, the deadline's a year in the future. So they think to themselves, I got a year to do it. There's plenty of time. I'm going to get to it. I'm really smart. And so what ends up happening is we enter the first phase of the project. And that first phase we called uninformed optimism. Because I don't know enough to be scared yet. All I know is I'm going to get to it and I'm really, really smart and I got a year to do it. And then about halfway through the project, you enter the second phase, which is called vague concern. You have this idea that maybe things aren't going so well and I really should have been doing some work and I haven't done much on the front end of the project. And while I was really comfortable getting it done in 12 months, I'm not sure that I can get it done in only seven months, which is all I have left. But since I have no plan, I can't confirm it. So I like to say my spidey sense is tingling in the back of my yeah. head saying something is off, but I can't confirm it. That's why it's vague concern. Then you move into the third and final phase of the, of the planning process or the, or the worry curve, which is called panic, right? Panic sets in, you start throwing money at your problems, your costs go up, your quality suffers, you start to cut corners. And so our philosophy is to try to shift the worry curve, plan your project up front so that you know what has to be worked on now and what can be afford to be delayed until later. You know, if you think about a 12 month project, if there's no plan for that project, the question I like to ask people is how much physical labor do you think happens on that project in the first, say, six weeks of a one-year project? And the answer is most often not much because people right. are like, I'm going to get to it. I'll get to it. And then the next question is, you know, why is that? Why don't people, why, aren't, why is not work happening? And there was a study that was done back by U.S. News and World Report, a survey, I should say, back in 1997 that I find fascinating. And it interviewed people and it said, they gave a list of people and it said, how, uh, what do you think their chance of getting into heaven is? And this is clearly in the late 90s. So the people on the list were from that time era. But I'll give you, Bill Clinton was 52%. Newt Greenwich was 40%. Michael Jordan was 65%. And Oprah Winfrey was 66% chance of getting into heaven. Mother Teresa. Okay, Mother Teresa was given a 79% chance of getting into heaven. Only one person scored higher than Mother Teresa. The people taking the survey. They gave, them, <laughs> they yeah. gave themselves an 87% chance of getting into heaven, more than Mother Teresa. Yeah, and I want to know what the 21, what the 21% that that you know that said, hey, she she did something wrong. What did Mother Teresa do for that 21% to give them doubt? You know? Exactly. And I, <laughs> Actually, so I yeah, thir, thir, yeah, 21, 21%. Oh my so God. I, I thought, you know, how did they give themselves a better chance of getting into heaven than Mother Teresa? And I think it's because you measure yourself off of your your um your intentions, things you intend yeah. to do, whereas you measure others against actual results. And so they yeah. intended to do well, they intended to do good. And on project work, they intended to do something in the first half of the project, they just never did. And so we yeah. can't, we won't be successful off of intentions. Speaking of intentions, let's take a quick break and I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Because I intended to tell you guys all about that great, great, great advertiser. That's what I like. And I like advertisers. That's unintended. That's a real fact. I love advertisers and I love our sponsors. So thanks for taking the moment just to listen to our sponsors and all of our key messages. We're live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're 
talking right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel on C-Suite Radio. My guest is Clint Padgett, the CEO of Project Success, best-selling author, The Project Success Method. Let's talk just before we got two minutes left. What is the Project Success Method? It is a team-centric collaborative approach where the team plans their develops their plan for their project. So they take the, on the front end, they agree to the scope as a team, but also make sure it matches up what their customer wants. They build a plan that's going to get them there where each individual assigns themselves the activities. They assign the duration that they need. And then they, they control the project throughout the life cycle to make sure that they get it done. So it's team focused, team centric and collaborative. That's, that's just too simple, Clint. I know. Isn't it though? <laughs> It is. You know, the simplest things are the hardest thing, but you're spot on. You got to have a customer and you got to have performers, right? And you have many customers, many performers all the way up and down the line. I've I've mapped these things out for years and years and years. And that's what you have to do. You get great teams working together for common good of the things that they're supposed to get accomplished and you deliver to a customer. And at the end of it, you say you're satisfied. Well, Clint, I got to tell you, I'm satisfied with this interview, and I thank you very much for joining us today. We've been talking with Clint Padgett, the CEO of Project Success. Make sure you rush out and get his book. All week long, we've been talking this week about how to get your teams going and how to have winning teams, and this has been a great, great interview. So, Clint, thanks for being with us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, and I learned a lot. I tell you, I always learn a lot. With every single guest, I have takeaways. Some good, some bad. Today's takeaway, uninformed optimism. That's what I thought was really good. You know, we can talk ourselves into almost anything. It's really important for us to be transparent in the teams, talk to each other, and say, can you really deliver that on Wednesday? Can you really? Isn't there other things that might be getting in your way of getting that done? Um, you know, do you really have uh, the competency or the reliability to be able to make that promise? Those are the kind of things you want to be able to talk about. So that was my key takeaway today. Oh man, I think it's important for us to be transparent. And I want to be transparent that I really like you. And I thank you very much for being a listener on this show. And, and I'm being transparent and asking you for your help to tell other people's about the show so we can get more listeners right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Thanks for listening. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.